everybody, you're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 321, NFL Week 1 Picks. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome to The Big Chill Podcast and Week 1 of the NFL. I'm Scott Hansen. Nothing. <laughs> Does Sam even know who Scott Hansen is? No, he just thinks he's Sam just got really worried, thought he was going to catch a predator for a moment. I just thought I was on the wrong, wrong I just thought I was on the wrong podcast. No. Do you, well, I was gonna say I wish I was Scott Hansen, but I don't know if I wish I was Scott Hansen. You can't enjoy the NFL because you just have people screaming in your ear the entire time for eight hours i think it would be fun i think it'd you be think? a cool job yeah it would be high you get pressure. criticized a lot yeah you yeah. do but then you you're laughing all the way to the bank you know i mean like i'm sure he and he basically has to work five months of the year if he i mean he might do more than that i don't know but fundamental and i know he'll need to research preseason like the building the stats and the knowledge would be a year-round pursuit but really it's one day a week, five months a year, and you're golden. And you get to say, we have officially reached the witching hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the most annoying, maybe catchphrase I hear regularly, but at the same time, I like hearing it. I'm very torn over the witching hour because it's a yeah. good moment. It is true that you are reaching prime NFL Sunday experience, but I kind of hate that it's the witching hour. It could also be a terrible time if you're on the wrong side of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, things can go wrong fast. There can suddenly be like, you can suddenly get hit by seven touchdowns that didn't go the way you needed them to be. And you went from feeling pretty happy about your fantasy team or your bets or your survivor pool to speaking of which. I'm in a survivor pool again, same survivor pool I've been doing for a few years. Last year, I forgot to do my week one entry. I've already submitted my week <laughs> one entry. So I've technically kind of already made it further than I did last year. Yeah, I'm doing ours again, but we don't start till week two. I'm annoyed, actually, because I think I would have won last year. I mean, oh, last year was God. a... Pr- I think I would have won. Dick Van Ham won. Here we go. Dick Van Ham won. 13 but weren't people. you in weren't you in the one that I do and you didn't make it past like week five? Yeah, but I can't I can't remember what I there was different rules. <laughs> There's different rules. Yeah, you can pick the ones. same team. Yeah, so that changes it. This one year is a traditional one. You can't pick the same team, so you gotta be a bit more calculated. But yeah. I do like the dick. I spoke to him on the phone for context for non-listeners. Dick is my and Frank's former <laughs> 80-year-old sophomore. I can't believe you immediately laugh at that phrase. Manager? <laughs> no, I'm actually not laughing at that. I'm laughing more at the fact that he's trying to explain who Dick Van Ham is. Well. <laughs> As if he's this, like, like, super presence. Well, he kind of is our in some former respect. softball coach. Yeah, well, and a, and a real character. But he spent, we spoke to him on the phone because we're going to go and get a beer this weekend. And he spent five minutes of that phone call complaining about 
last year when the Jets did the blitz on that final play of the game. If you recall, when they were going to win the yeah. only, which he said yeah. cost him $4,000 because he didn't have the Jets in the Survivor that week. Didn't He didn't go against the Jets in the Survivor that week, but almost everyone else had. So it, 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 he, was, he was not happy. You know, seven months later, he was still raging about it. But before we get into our NFL Week 1 picks, some other major events going on in the world of sport one of which is the U.S. Open in tennis, where Djokovic is chasing the, I, I don't know what they'll call it if he achieves it. He was obviously going for the golden grand slam with the Olympics thrown in. He failed in that bid. Maybe the Joker slam. Yeah, like they, like they did with the Tiger slam. We'll see. But yeah, trying to win all four uh, majors, grand slams in a calendar year. So it's in a calendar year. Now, does that because what was Woods's? Was Woods, Woods just like, didn't Woods didn't do it in a calendar year? He did the thing where he like wrapped around, so he didn't win the first like consecutively. Major of the year. He didn't win the first right? major of the year, and then he won the next three, and then he won the first major the following season. So he won. Okay. So he held every. He, yeah, major he was exactly, at one point. but not in a calendar year. Got it. But yeah, so has anyone done that in tennis? Oh, has anyone held all four at once? You're putting me on the spot here. I'm pretty sure the answer is no, but you're putting me on the spot here, but I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Steffi Graf did it. Sure. Yes, it's true. We don't want to come across as, yeah. I'm actually surprised that Serena Williams has never done it. But well, Steffi Graf has done the Golden Slam with okay. the gold medal. Nice. I'm also so, kind of surprised Serena Williams hasn't done that either because she's won two gold medals. I think the Grand Slam in tennis is the achievement of winning all four majors in one discipline in the same calendar year. It's also referred to as a calendar year Grand Slam. <laughs> I mean, that, catchy. that's catchy. That is what it is. A marketing or, team. A marketing or, team worked or, on that for months. <laughs> went to, oh no, they went one better, and then they decided to call it a calendar grand slam. Obviously, it was too wordy before, so the marketing yeah, heads got together. They brought in a consultant consulting team for for that one to just tighten it up, make it more catchy, <laughs> slimmed it down. But it says Rod Laver. Is that how you say that right? Rod Eddie? Laver from Laver has done yeah. it. Okay. He turned into an arena now. Uh, yes, true. Yeah, he is. He is center court at the Australian Open. Okay, I mean that's going back a long time, so I don't know how to feel about that necessarily. That's always one of those things. I think it's very different doing it in the modern era versus when Laver was doing it. You could also argue that when Laver was doing it, he was not making that much money, flying commercial, having to take like making it to the Australian Open probably took him four weeks. So like, uh, probably more of an achievement than what Djokovic has to go through. But yeah, it's still Here, here's a good question for you, Eddie. How many players, men's tennis players, have won the career Grand Slam? Oof. All right. So currently playing Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic have. Correct. 
Um, Agassi and Sampras. Sampras, I don't think, ever won the French Open. So I would rule him out. Agassi. My gut says Agassi didn't win the French Open, but he definitely Agassi made a... F- did win the French Open. He did? Yeah. Agassi is one. He is. Um, McEnroe? Nope. I'm going to say Bjorn Borg Beck. didn't. Becker? Becker. I don't think Becker won the French. Does anyone win the French? <laughs> well, I mean, it yeah, is, it, it's often right. No, it's the anomaly. It's the anomaly slam, isn't it, really? So you've told yeah, us Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because when you, when you look at what they've won, all these people, most of them have multiple victories in Wimbledon or the Australian or the US, but everyone in the French is either one or two besides Nadal, who's 13 times. <laughs> yeah. No, and obviously it's changed too, right? Because the Australian Open used to be a grass court tournament. So there was a moment in time where being a grass court a grass court specialist was advantageous in two majors. Now being a hard court specialist is advantageous in two two grand slams. But yeah, it would be a... So eight, eight, eight. players. So we're missing... Roy Emerson, th- Rod Laver, Fred Perry, and Don Budge. I should have got Fred Perry. I mean, you know, if you're a successful tennis player, you get a clothing line named after you. So, Oh, is there a Lacoste professional tennis player? Yeah, so. But yeah, no, he's playing Zverev in the Djokovic is facing Zverev in, I guess, the more interesting of the two semifinals, even though you know, the other one, you have Medvedev, who's a previous U.S. Open winner, playing against uh, O.J. Aliasim, who is one of the up-and-coming stars of tennis. So it's nice to see one of the younger generation actually delivering delivering in a Grand Slam. But Djokovic Zverev is very much the highlight of the semis. The two talking points are obviously Djokovic playing as a player who he has actually not a great record against recently. Zverev in the head-to-head is doing fairly well for now, but also the major talking point is Zverev's sexual assault, domestic abuse allegations, and the fact that these have, I wouldn't say have been swept under the rug, but definitely compared to the amount of tension, attention that other athletes get for these kind of accusations, it's sort of a forgotten story every time he does well in a tournament on social media people bring it up and there's a few non-tennis websites that discuss it pretty extensively but for the most part i think the large percentage of even avid tennis watchers are unaware of the accusations yeah i I would say swept under the rug because i mean we're a sports podcast so i'm always consuming you know, sports news stories and things like that. And I had never seen this until last week um, when I, it was kind of a small blurb in a larger story. And then I started to do some research and there was a huge slate article um, all about the accusations and pretty much not just a one-time thing, but years worth of 
allegations of sexual assault and just, I mean, really bad to the point where I can't believe it hasn't been brought up more publicly. And because like, I've never seen ESPN ever mention it in anything, you know, and I think one of the articles I read said, it's only until very recently that even commentators have been mentioning it. I think they said maybe in the Wimbledon was one of the first times maybe anyone had ever really mentioned it, the the English commentators, or if it wasn't Wimbledon, it was definitely English commentators. Um, they said had, had mentioned it, um, but that the American outlets haven't really said anything with their coverage of the U S open at all, which is just, it's crazy. And when you read the story, it's, it's really disturbing. If oh, those yeah. allegations I mean, are true, yeah. I mean, they're right. very, very disturbing. I mean, if, if, if an NFL player had done the same, right, he would have been suspended without doubt until an investigation had been carried out. So, and that's not to blame the ATP or the International Tennis Federation because it's a little bit of a different situation, but it is, I mean, all Zverev has done is deny it. So perhaps, you know, to believe in the concept of someone being innocent until proven guilty and you don't want someone to just be tarnished by accusations but basically he came out and just said no nothing she said is true and that filed a countersuit yes and a cease and desist oh really yeah yeah but i mean that's what you would do not to be cynical but that's what you would do even if you were guilty i mean he knows he holds all the cards in terms of money and power in this dynamic. So it's in his interest for his brand to deny things as publicly and as categorically as possible. So it's a little bit strange. What does it, what does it mean? Like, why don't they do something? If you see my point, like you said, almost every sport would do something Premier League, NFL, rugby, cricket, whatever it is, it would be like almost like an immediate suspension pending some sort of investigation or police findings or something like that. Like you've got the ATP, which is the kind of association, right? There's a, there's a semi like player representation there. They seemingly haven't any, done anything. The ITF are allowing him to play in tournaments. Like I feel it's purely damaging brand just from being a constant. If you see my point, rather than a, you're suspended, you need to sort it. When you come back pending guilty or innocence, it's done. It just seems weird that it lingers and it just seems very depressing to be honest that they're just basically not trusting this Olga lady, right? Well, so the issue from the ATP standpoint is that they didn't actually have a domestic abuse policy in any of their rules and guidelines. So they are now they're now going to introduce some. So you'd have to assume that this is the catalyst for that, even though they won't publicly say that. But you know, it's kind of not hard to put two and two together on this one. But it does obviously, it raises one question of, can you, are you sort of grandfathered in to not having some of those policies apply? Also, you know, typically you can't, you know, you can't create a new law and punish someone for something they've previously done. So can they introduce this policy and then say these are this is on an ongoing issue therefore you are suspended from future events it all it puts them in a difficult spot that hopefully they don't get into it in the future it is just surprising because tennis has been such a progressive sport in terms of how it has handled 
uh, the men's and women's games obviously getting equal pay and promoting them pretty much equally, trying to create superstars on both sides, trying to remove any uh, sort of biases when it comes to thinking the men's game is better or the women's game is is weaker or not as entertaining. So it's, it is a bit, I mean, I guess technically the WTA handles that, but yeah, it's surprising. Yeah. I mean, and it, it does shine some hypocrisy on the tennis, not governing bodies, but just the community where they're going to restrict the color of clothing that people can wear at certain tournaments. That's important. But whether an athlete just, just one you know, is, has, no, there are other tournaments that they restrict what you can wear. Yes, the color is pretty specific to Wimbledon, but yeah. The color have... is specific, but what you can wear. Yeah. That is a concern, but yet having people of good moral standing and non-criminals competing just isn't as important to them. That's a little crazy to me. But the other thing I I thought I had read was it's a little different than like the NFL and MLB is that they're not salaried athletes within the organization itself. So it's a little harder to discipline them because they're not technically employees of ITF or whatever that is. Yeah, the ATP. Yeah, it would be tough for ATP, sorry. Because then you'd have to do a blanket ban on tournaments because obviously qualifies for everything through ranking points. Otherwise, he could go through open qualifiers. For example, the US Open, right? It is legitimately an open qualifier. Anyone can conceivably qualify for the US Open if you can go through the qualification process. So even if you banned him somehow, removed his automatic qualification, if he was really, really dedicated, you just have Zverev playing in tiny tournaments in the early parts of the summer and then making his way to the US Open. You know it does put them in a a difficult spot. You kind of get into that moment with like, not to compare the two things, although actually the Zverev accusations are more serious, but it's a little bit with like with the Lance Armstrong thing when he kind of couldn't take part in triathlons because he'd been banned from competing in organ. You know, you have to go to almost that extent where it is just, no, Zverev is now banned from organized sport versus, well, we as a governing body of tennis it's hard for us to stop him playing all around the world in some way. Did um, the sponsors said anything? See, that's an interesting one is usually sponsors will immediately at the sniff of anything say like done, we're, we're stopping it. We're, I don't know, pulling an ad campaign or um, pulling them kind of using our shirt or some sort of branding on them in a tournament, but no one's done that either. That's where it's a little interesting. Because if I had read this correctly, he was being represented by Federa's management company. I forget what it, it has a it has a uh, a number in the name. I forget what it is. Not like teammate or something like that. And after this came out, they parted ways. And when they asked Federa, he just said, "Oh, I think they just naturally parted ways." But it was kind of like the timeline kind of matches up. But at the same time, he also signed a massive deal with Rolex in June during all of this. Yeah. And that is still officially his sponsor. And it was like a major signing through all these accusations. Yeah. And he's clearly not lost. He's one of Adidas's main tennis players. He's obviously not lost that. 
So whether or not the sponsors are behind the scenes have said or done anything and whether or not one or two of them have maybe quietly walked away, that I don't know. But certainly the major ones that he has, he's still using, he's still an Adidas player. He's still using the same racket. Now, he could conceivably just have lost his sponsorship there and be buying his racket, but that seems unlikely because someone else would have snapped him up. So... No, it doesn't appear to have had any impact on him financially, which it's just awkward. I think that's the thing is from the lesson you have to take from tennis is you got to resolve it one way or another. So that's what's a bit strange. And actually, now that, yeah, it is, it's very awkward because the reason that this came up that I even saw these, the, the whole story was he made a comment in his last win they were asking him about his gold medal and he said he sleeps with his gold medal every night because he doesn't have a girlfriend. So he just sleeps with his gold medal and people roasted him on Twitter for mentioning, you know, the fact about a girlfriend with everything going on. And that's kind of he, how it asked, came. Asked through. him if he smothers his gold, gold medal with a pillow. <laughs> but, I mean, Do you yeah. use the gold medal as some sort of like <laughs> flailing means? No, I mean, not, not to make light of the accusations, right? But yeah, no, it's you'd think you'd be more self-aware of maybe I don't want to touch on any topics to do with women. And and there was, I did see in parts a lot of people when he won his gold medal saying, yes, Verov has just become Olympic champion, but let's not forget that he's facing very serious domestic abuse allegations. But those, again, they were smaller publications. For the most part, it goes uncovered in a way that it, because it's come become so front and center in other sports, like in the NFL, where they have to address it. A player is facing allegations, even if he's still playing, before a suspension might be coming. You'll hear it addressed on the Sunday. You'll hear, you'll hear commentators talk about it. Even if it's a little bit cagey and awkward, they still bring it up at this point. So for tennis not to be doing it, it's kind of surprising. And it's also surprising that someone like say McEnroe, who can be so outspoken, and this isn't a criticism of him, but someone like that within tennis, they do have a few high-profile commentators who are not afraid of getting involved in controversial topics. It's surprising that someone hasn't decided, yeah, my goal for this year is just to make sure no one forgets about this, and every time Zverev plays, I'm going to be bringing it up. But from one sport, maybe not handling domestic abuse well, just before we switch to the NFL, where domestic abuse where is, is a very common segue theme. Going? I don't know if you saw, but the big news we've discussed on previous podcasts, what will happen to the Afghan cricket team? Well, Australia are due to play a test match against Afghanistan, which would be the first time they've ever played Afghanistan in a test match in their history. And Australia have now said they will not play that match because the Real sports... Quick, where was it supposed to be? Uh, in Australia, I believe. Okay. Uh, just outside the airport in Kabul. <laughs> I think it's in Australia because it's in the build-up to the Ashes. So I think it's Australia's pre-Ashes test match series. But because the a Afghan sports minister, I think it was, came out and basically said the Afghan men's cricket team is guaranteed to still keep going. However, he wasn't certain that 
women would still be allowed to play cricket. At which point the Australian team has pulled out saying they will not play the Afghan men's team unless the Afghan women's team is also active. Equally, the ICC, the governing body of cricket, does have a rule that the 12 full-time members of the ICC have to have both a men's and women's team. So it raises serious question marks over the future of the Afghan men's team, even ignoring the fact that them playing home test matches and their training facilities, that might be a whole mess anyway. Just from the status within the ICC, this might be a temporary end to Afghan Afghanistan's participation in international cricket. Yeah, I also saw um, the T20 captain step down because of the squad selection and all that kind of stuff as well. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a tough one. It's because also, right, they're now going to play under the Taliban flag, if I understand correctly, as well. So there's that perception that it's not going to be the Afghan flag. Does that legitimize it if you're just having the flag like flying over like the MCG or somewhere like that? Uh, yeah, it's um, that's a bit of an awkward one. You're right. Yeah, that's uh, to have the that flag flying over Lords. <laughs> why, why not go down super well <laughs> in the middle so of London? Uh, so yeah, that might be. And and our final non NFL topic before we switch on. Speaking of people getting into a little bit of a mess, the final subject, which I'm sure Sam has seen, but Frank, you may have not, is. Um, as the it's Gavin Williamson in the UK. I think he's the Minister for Education or the Education Minister, whatever the official title he has, but he's a member of the cabinet, made a claimed, because obviously Marcus Rashford has been heavily involved in pushing for free school lunches. It's been a, you know, he's been campaigning for it now for 18 months or so. Gavin Williamson was asked if he had ever spoken wait, to... Wait. I want to guess. Did he say he could make the penalty? No. <laughs> that wouldn't be that wouldn't be controversial. This is yeah. controversial. Okay. He was he was asked in an interview if he had ever spoken with Marcus Rashford, which is a logical question given the efforts that Marcus Rashford has put into into basically trying to improve oh the British education system. He said yes that they had had a Zoom call together but that it had been fairly brief. He'd been impressed by his passion, but it had been fairly brief because he didn't want to hold him back from training and being the reason why he didn't train as well. Subsequently, it has been revealed that he, (laughs) by his own team, fairly swiftly after this interview, that he had in fact not spoken with Marcus Rashford, but instead had had a Zoom call with the England rugby player, Maro Atoje. So, who has also had his own campaign, but his was more focused on getting, I think, uh, computers to underprivileged children during the pandemic so that they weren't held back in their studies. Now, they don't look similar. They have very different backgrounds. Marcus Rashford made the joke that they certainly weren't confused because of the accent because Itoje is a Harrow-educated, quite posh-sounding man. But obviously, the one thing they do have in common is that they are both black. It's not a great look for a government minister and probably the end of his career. 
Wow, really? That you think it's that drastic? It it's. it's I mean, the only thing I, mean, the, I guess his only defense would be if he knows nothing about sports really, and he has a ton of meetings, and mm-hmm. someone told him that this is a sports figure who has some sort of outreach program, and he just confused one with the other. So I would agree with you if he had confused Mara Toje with someone else, but given how high profile Marcus Rashford has been when it comes to the free school meals, it seems inconceivable that the minister, regardless of what he's done as a footballer, he should be aware of him. He should be speaking with him about the project. I mean, he was, he topped Britain's charts last year for raising money as a percentage of his net worth. So uh, I think he raised something like 150% of his net worth towards this particular cause. So, you know, he should be someone they're speaking to. But also, the reason why I think it's probably the end of his career, he wasn't doing tremendously well anyway. And no, the he, government, he's a very incompetent education secretary. The, the government as a whole is not doing very well, so there's going to be a cabinet reshuffle. So this just makes it very easy for him to be someone who is moved aside and it's a very, I mean, I'm sure Boris Johnson is almost pleased because it's a great reason to move someone out without someone questioning then overall government performance because they get to point to this gaffe. So in a sense, as is usual for Boris Johnson, this is a great way of distracting people from the issues that really matter, but it's still pretty pathetic for someone in such a high profile position. Yeah, they really shouldn't put him in the firing line, but like the care minister came out and said like, so he got asked, is he racist or incompetent? And she was, she said, I don't know. And it's like, wow, not even defending him. It's just the realization that, yeah, it's a complete blooper. Like you've got so many people around you that can prevent it happening. It's, it's just crazy. And it is just racist. Is he, is he racist or incompetent? Are they mutually exclusive? Would be yeah, the first, well, you... <laughs> first follow-up question. But on that note... We've got the controversial topics out of the way. Should we move on to our picks for week one of the NFL? Well, I thought we, we were going to get on to our reaction of the new Matrix trailer. I haven't I have seen it. I have not seen it yet. <laughs> oh! I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not like running to go watch it like the matrix was great but it is something that is in my past (laughs) like i don't i didn't need to see more matrix movies i mean yeah i mean you have crippling anxiety when it comes to selecting your next movie so this is probably terrible news for you (laughs) it's just another one it's another that you probably have to watch sam Sam, did you at least watch the new spider-man trailer yes i did watch that one that's my multiverse has arrived to Marvel, Eddie. I don't know what that really means. Oh, you Oof. do deep down. Oof. I mean, I think it means <laughs> that there's, you don't you don't want to even know what that means. Does it mean that there's other characters in the star in the Spider-Man movie? It means that there's other Spider-Mans in the Spider-Man movie. Spider-Men? There's Spider-Mans from different timelines. I don't know. I don't I can't honestly properly understand what that means, but like a parallel universe spider-man yeah there's like so an infinite amount of versions so like toby Maguire is showing up in this so that's that's the speculation is that they're going to bring back toby Maguire and james garfield 
to play the Spider-Man Garfield. from their timeline. <laughs> Wait, the president? <laughs> James Garfield. <laughs> what a twist. What a plot twist. <laughs> I must save the they're world. Gonna, they're going to dig up his bones. <laughs> put dump it into a Spider-Man. A really old-fashioned Spider-Man outfit. <laughs> James, James, James Garfield, no, Andrew Garfield, James Garfield, twentieth president of the United States, twentieth <laughs> Spider-Man, and Secret Spider-Man. Yeah, but the multiverse theory would state that there would be a version where, like, James Garfield is a Spider-Man. Sure, he could have been. That's <laughs> not. But yes, not they didn't. They didn't show any of them in the trailer, but they do seriously hint at the different villains that were in those movies played by the same actors in the trailer. So you'd have to assume that the Spider-Mans will also be there. Just keep this brief for me and keep in mind, I fundamentally have zero interest. Eddie, I'm very excited for the question you're about to drop. Explain to me (laughs) why it's interesting that there can be multiple Spider-Men in the same universe. Why would it be? I think it would just be neat to have like all these interactions of like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man coming into Tom Holland's Spider-Man's world and just the interaction of them would be kind of humorous. Okay. I'd also like to see Tobey Maguire replay Spider-Man now that he's about 50 years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah, mid 40s <laughs> probably. I mean, look, James I prefer I prefer the idea of <laughs> the universe being recreated with former presidents as the superheroes. So I want to see like Abraham Lincoln as Superman. James Garfield as Spider-Man. You think Abraham Lincoln would be Superman? It's the biggest one. I think George Washington would probably get the Superman billing. George Washington is Superman. Okay. JFK is Batman. This is a obvious choice. My obvious choice. Why is it obvious? Because he's the suave, good-looking president. So he's the clear. He's he gets to play the Bruce Wayne role as president, basically, and then he's off whole conspiracy theory that he was assassinated because they figured out he was Batman. Roosevelt can be Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> a good one yeah yeah i mean I we could we, dedicate like, a whole he was just in the, we could just in an early prototype that. of the iron man suit oh my god well it would make more sense as to why he created the suit right like he's created yeah. the suit to because of polio yeah so that's the, the horriblest origin story We can dedicate a whole. I, I'm I'm fine with having this be an entire podcast topic in the future. Which president would be which superhero yeah, right. and villain? I am now going to make the ultimate case that James Garfield should be Spider Man. Was his wife of... named Mary? <laughs> um, his wife was named Lucretia. Oh, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> also assassinated. That name's so so far. Oh. 
most of the presidents we've suggested as being superheroes were assassinated. Lincoln, Garfield, JFK. Her middle name is Webb. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> Frank's uncovered like a conspiracy theory style thing going on. No, no, okay. I'm... Wait, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm completely off on that. Disregard that. That is <laughs> Ru- just... Rutherford's Rutherford's Wait. wife. Okay. Middle name <laughs> was Webb. Well, we can we can have this as a whole topic for a future podcast. We, we'll then get a whole new set of listeners who will probably be interested in that, and then very disappointed with the second episode of ours that they listen to. But yeah, we can. <laughs> good. Yeah. Oh my god, they did such a good episode. Now they're talking about horse racing. Yeah. <laughs> well, also next episode then now that. You know the Matrix trailer is out. You can go watch it and tell me your feedback. Sure, because it's, my initial feedback is... It's interesting. People will either think it's really neat or think it's super, super corny. This is where they're... I won't, I won't say this because I can't remember yeah. this properly. But save, a, save it for next episode. There's a controversial spin that they put on the Matrix, right? The, the Yeah, the, it looks like it. it is. The sisters... Right. Well, on that note, let's make it now. To, now let's take w- the blue pill and get into our NFL picks. Yes. <laughs> Happy is back. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. It changes. It's changes my week. It's just mm. Sundays suddenly become great. No, but you know what Eddie's I mean. Like, what were they before? Sundays. Yeah, they were just fucking boring. miserable. I like Sundays. Yeah. I mean, Sunday is the best day. I, Sunday is the best day of the week, right? The only thing that sucks about Sunday is Monday. Like that's. Um, but then part of what's amazing about Sundays is the Monday because the the kind of dread for the following day is part of what makes the Sunday enjoyable. It's like that last feeling of freedom before the misery kicks in, but. Sunday is the best day. <laughs> keep keep going, Eddie. This is, this is it's interesting getting your mind. Tell us how much you love on. your job, Eddie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in an ideal world, I'd have every Monday off, and Sunday would be pumped up. But wouldn't? But, but then wouldn't, wouldn't Monday wouldn't be the Monday, Sunday feeling? Oh, I guess because Sunday would be sport filled. It wouldn't whereas... be because the key to the Sunday is the second day off. That's what's great about the Sunday. You hit your rhythm of not working, so. You have the first, you kind of waste Saturday a lot of times because either you've gone out on a Friday night, so you're a bit more tired or you've got stuff you need to do, or it's like the big, or that's the night you're going to go out. Like a lot of plans take place on the Saturday and then more often than not, the Sunday is more relaxed. The only type of plans I ever have on a Sunday, it's sports related or it's like a day drinking, going to a pub, but very relaxed kind of experience or a brunch. Like, so Sunday would still be amazing because you would have had the 24 hours to ease into not doing anything. And then the Monday you could flip back into, I mean, I'm all in favor of the four day work week. We'll get there eventually in my lifetime, but. Trialing, trialing it in the UK at the moment. So that's at least a positive. Should we talk? Yeah, I'm very excited for sure. I mean, I'll go back to Scott Hansen. I cannot wait to put the red zone on and see the countdown where it's like three, two, one. And then you have like this weird 
animated contraption moving like the clock around and everything. And then you see Scott Hansen's face and he says, welcome to eight hours of non-commercial football or whatever it is that he says. So are you, are you really looking forward to though, the week one experience that you almost always get? which is the team that lets you down because they're either a little too rusty or you read them wrong coming into it and you come into the season thinking they're going to be pretty good. Now, in Frank, in your I already case, know. I already know that game. I've already highlighted the okay, game. Well, we'll save that. The, the issue, the I was going to save it. The difference is with Frank, I mean, then this is for anyone out there. If you're making picks in anything or you're betting or whatever, one of the keys to being successful over the NFL season is ditching those preseason sort of feelings you had as quickly as possible is, oh, I thought the Texans were going to be good. And by week two, you need to know I was wrong. Let's get off this bandwagon. Or this I love ship your disclaimering of Frank's. You're, you're going <laughs> Frank, to Frank, Frank here. <laughs> Frank, you know, Frank probably still thinks the Texans won the Super Bowl last year. But, but no, but in, I mean, in, the Lions. in general, I do think that is the key. For because in any sport, you come into the season, you think, oh, Spurs are going to be good or Spurs are going to be bad. And then after two in the Premier League or in football, you maybe extend that to five, six weeks. But in the NFL, two, three weeks into it, you need to be able to quickly say they're either better than I thought they were or they're a lot worse and, and flip quickly. So obviously, looking at our performance last season, so looking at the kind of our week one. Um, Eddie and I had good week ones. Um, we had 11 and five money line. Frank had eight and eight money line. Uh, Eddie had eight and seven and one push against the spread. I had 10, five and one. And Frank opened up accounts with a six and nine and one. Man, a um, lot of chuckles look- for a guy who just <laughs> impaled himself after week four. <laughs> no, but history, history would tell you, Sam, in the first three weeks. He's gonna have the. He's the hot start. He's the. He's, he's the hot start. He's the horse that comes out of the gate and just goes a hundred miles an hour straight for the first three furlongs and forgets. With forgetting it's a two mile four. Exactly. Cup. Exactly. <laughs> and you've just got you know me and Frank Stradivarius and Trushan sitting in behind him, just going, not worried about that. I do enjoy looking at Frank's old better the weeks as well because. Three of them have the Texans in. (laughs) 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 That is pretty good. Uh, The poor Houston Texans, they have been decimated (laughs) since I bet on them. The biggest ever Duke of Curse victims. Yeah, big time. They're definitely up there. So we're up tonight with the... um, Bucks to the Cowboys. So, what better place to start than right now? So, yeah, Cowboys at the Bucks, and the Bucks are a big opening favorite, nine and a half point favorites. What do you think? Let's go to Frank. So, yeah, the Bucks, they've got all 22 starters from last season. We, we did talk about this during our preview, and that team tormented the hell out of Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. 
you have Dak Prescott coming off of one of the most horrific injuries ever to his leg. Now potentially going to face this defense and there is a good chance that he is going to get beat around. So in that Super Bowl, Mahomes was sacked twice and hit nine times in that game. If Dak Prescott is hit nine times in week one in his first week back, that is not going to be good. Um, like and and Zach Martin is gone. So their right guard, their all pro right guard is not playing. That's not good. I did look at some stats for Tom Brady. He has played in four NFL kickoff games, and he's three and one in those games. So when Tom Brady is opening the NFL season, he's pretty good. But I guess the caveat to that is Tom Brady playing any game is pretty good because his record is close to that anyway. So um, money line, I'm taking the Bucks. Uh, I expect them to win. Nine and a half is a lot of points. Um, you're getting into double-digit points for a Cowboys team that is still a good team with talented players. At nine and a half, I think I would take the Cowboys to make a late cover. You know, maybe they're down 14 and score a late touchdown with 30 seconds left to make it seven and then, you know, don't get the onside kick or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with you. Like the Bucks, obviously returning all their starters. They're all kind of the same quality. They're just one year older, right? But the thing is, like, this Cowboys team before Dak's injury were posting up some serious yardage. So we know they can score. And they've only kind of lost one or two people. They've got a few people back as well. So I don't know. I think Dak's going to come back and he'll want to make a big impression. Like you say, the pass rush, though, is the biggest problem here for the um, for the Cowboys. They could easily just get blown away here score-wise. But nine and a half's too much. Week one, game one. What to be looking at nearly ten points? Nah. So same as you, Frank. I've got the Bucks, but I've got the Cowboys covering. Classic mistake. Classic week one. Oh, game opening game division. mistake. To me, this is that game where almost always, you, you know, you've got the reigning Super Bowl champion playing. Often they try and pick a pretty good, interesting, tough matchup, and a lot of times you come into it, and you talk yourself into. I don't know. Maybe this team's going to be good. Maybe it's a lot of points. You know, anytime it's a touchdown or more, which it often is, you get worried. It shouldn't be worried. You should know that, look, you got Dats Prescott returning from injury against one of the most terrifying pass rushes in the NFL. How conservative do they need to be with him? Last thing they want is week one, him snapping another ankle. So... He needs to get back up to speed. This is not the team you want to get back up to speed against. You're going to have Tom Brady fired up, wanting to make an impression on Thursday night football, knowing he gets a 10-day rest right after it. I think the Bucks will win. I think they'll cover the spread easily. Now, this will probably be dropped post-game. So Eddie will either sound really, really good after this, and now people are going to be really interested into his Sunday picks, or they're going to yeah. say, this guy was totally fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's you, true. You can hear the podcast. You can hear it changing and like Eddie dubbing over. Like he's like, you get those like back Prescott, and you just hear him dubbing over his voice to correct Very the good. point. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think totally the Cowboys agree. will win this yeah. game. <laughs> I cannot think of a worse matchup for 
Tom Brady than play against this terrifying, <laughs> terrifying <laughs> Cowboys defense. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, look, this will definitely go out, come out before this game starts because the game kicks off in 45 minutes and I don't know if we're going to be <laughs> barely a recording. So, yes, it is true. You're listening to this and you're either now thinking Frank and Sam are geniuses or I'm a genius or the Cowboys have won and you think we're all idiots. But, you know, that would surprise me, I have to admit. I have not selected the Cowboy, the Buccaneers as my survivor pick because of the fact that we have to use them you can only use the team once and this seems like a waste but i'll tell you when we get to the team i have selected but yeah it's not not the buccaneers all right so we've already got division so uh next game is the cardinals at the titans and the titans are Three point favorites at the moment. So, um, I mean, I, I I'll go first. Like, I I think of this one as like a good old kind of shootout. It's like an early season shootout. I think it'll be high scoring. The Titans were already like fourth highest scorers in the NFL last season. They've now added Julio Jones. Like, I think the Cardinals are good. They'll keep up with the Titans, but I just think the Titans will just keep scoring and just keep scoring at a bit of a faster rate. So, I've got the Titans winning this one and covering. Yeah, it pains me to say but I'm I'm with you on this. I think Tennessee was ranked 4th in the NFL in scoring last season and they've added Julio Jones now, so that's only going to get better. The Cards defense, they've got young linebackers, cornerback not so much. They lost Patrick Peterson who was at the back end of his career to begin with and he was their star in the secondary, so that is very worrisome. They took Malcolm Butler, and then he just retired on them. So that didn't really help the situation very much. Um, but, yeah, it will be interesting, like you said, to see the progression of that Cardinals offense. And it might be a shootout, and it might be a fun game to watch. But I think the Titans will win. I think the Titans – what was the spread again? Two? Three. Field goal. Yeah. Classic Frank. I'll take the Titans. Trying, trying to suggest a one-point lower on the spread. Oh, it's three. Mm. No, it's kidding. I got Titans. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Look, I don't think there was a team that I had a worse read on last year than the Cardinals in that I think every week I tried to pick them to win, they would lose. And every time I thought they were going to get blown out, they would win. Uh, their defense is their big issue. You know that the offense, can, when it clicks, it works well. But sometimes their defense just looks like it shouldn't even be competing in the NFL. I don't know. With Cliff... Kingsbury's still there. I don't have a lot more confidence in them. The Titans are pretty reliable, very efficient. You know also once they take a lead, it becomes tough because they do have that run game. So a fourth quarter can just fly by if they've got, you know, if they're up 10 going into the fourth quarter, you're in real trouble. So yeah, I'm going to take the Titans to win and to cover. Frank, how about those Texans? They are three-point underdogs against the Jags. I thought maybe we'd just skip over this game because the only thing you, worth watching about are, this game is Trevor Lawrence, just to see how he does as a rookie. The, Frank, that's the you know last year I used to select worst game of the week, the game I was not going to spend a second watching. This is that game. I agree with you. However, because it's Trevor Lawrence's debut, you're going to have to. 
I don't mean have to watch it. Yeah. You should watch it. But on Red Zone, you're going to see his first completion. You're going to see his first incompletion. You're going to see the first time he gets sacked. First first down, first touchdown, whatever. Like a first turnover. You're going to see all of his first. It's going to be really annoying because it's a game that is just not interesting at all. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, the two facts here that can maybe sway your decision a little bit. Last year, Houston's defense ranked 30th in yards allowed, and they've now lost J.J. Watt. Not that he was always there anyway, uh, often injured. But So Houston has a very terrible defense. But the Texans did beat the Jags both times last season. So keep that in mind. As terrible as the Texans were, they still beat the Jags. However, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence doing what Peyton Manning could not do and win his first game as a starter. And I will go the Jags to win and the Jags to cover. He's already abandoned them. We finally got him. We, week one, regular season. He's abandoned the Texans. I will uh, say Tyrod Taylor being the starter, I was always never not a fan of Tyrod Taylor. I know that sounds backwards, but there was a lot of people who very much disliked Tyrod Taylor being the Bills starting QB. And I actually thought he was a decent QB and just got a bad rap because people just didn't like his style of play. Um, but I thought he was decent. But obviously, Josh Allen um, ended up succeeding him and has been great. But I think Tyrod Taylor will be better than people remember or think they remember him being. I'm going to pick this as my first upset because I just think I don't know why. You know, a lot of people are pinning their hopes on Trevor Lawrence being instantly very good. This Texans team does still have some good players. I mean, James Robinson, I think, will be able to run against. Uh, I mean, sorry, this um, reverse. James Robinson for the Jags, I think, will struggle a bit against this Texans run defense. I also think that this could be one of those things where the Texans have spent the whole preseason motivating themselves that they're going to turn things around that they've got rid of the players who were maybe causing them issues things like proving that they didn't rely on on jj watt stuff like that storylines i hate picking teams because they're going to be more motivated because i mean frank you know we often have this discussion but i don't really think that makes too much difference i'm assuming everyone in the nfl is pretty motivated to perform on a weekly basis but yeah i think you're gonna. Ha- There's going to be a few upsets in week one. I don't love selecting this one necessarily because the Texans could just be totally awful. But I'm willing to. This is a complete stay away from me. But having to make the selection, this is my selection. So Texans can cover, obviously. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm 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 with Frank on this one. So I'm I'm going with the Jags and to cover. I just think the Texans terrible. The one. The one point I did look at was, like you said, Eddie, the, I think the Texans are still pretty good at stopping a ground game and it will just force Lawrence maybe to be a little bit more uncomfortable than he would have liked for like an opening game, especially like a very winnable opening game. So, but you know what? Let's see what Lawrence and um, Mayer do or Maya. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Jags. And then kind of moving on from that, we've got the closest spread. The one that keeps going between them, but it's only a one-point favoritism. So it's the Chargers at the Washington football team. And uh, Washington 
are one point favourites, which I think is flipped a couple of times very easily. But uh, yeah, what do you think? I'll keep this one pretty simple. I'm I'm willing to just back that the Chargers continue to progress and that Herbert doesn't have a sophomore slump. And as scary as this Washington defense is, which it's genuinely one of the best defenses in the league, there's still enough question marks for me about what they can do offensively. Who knows? Is this a Fitzmatic week one masterclass where suddenly on red zone you're getting told that the that Washington are up like 45 to 14 and he's throwing 70 yard bombs maybe again I'd stay away from this one but I'm going to trust that the Chargers are more progressive and have maybe fewer question marks yeah so um similar logic I just fell on a different side of the coin so you know it's interesting you know, more expectation on Herbert. I know they've got a new green coach as well. So that'll be interesting as well. But I just think Washington have got such a great, big hitting defense. And Washington will get up in Herbert's face. Chase Young will be leading that. And I just think for what it is, and I I, I was kind of good on Washington last year as well. So I, I think I'm just going to keep going with it. And I think, you know, they have improved slightly in their offensive game that'll help them here. So I'm going to go Washington. So one of my stats was five of Washington's seven wins last year were in the underdog role, but now I guess I can take away that stat as they're currently the favorites. Uh, you have the offensive rookie of the year versus the defensive rookie of the year and Herbert versus Chase Young, which is a pretty cool matchup. Um, for me, this is one of those games that I think Washington will win, but by week 17, or actually I guess 18 now, I will think that the Chargers are the better team. I think you have a new coach. You have a, a pretty new line for the Chargers. Uh, their offensive line was really shuffled this year. Um, so while I think they have the better team, I think it's going to take a few weeks for them to kind of get it all together and, and, and gel and mesh. So I think Washington will take it this week with that defensive line and those pressures. But I think as you get later into the season, I think the Chargers will be a, a much better team than Washington. Next up is... Uh, Vikings at the Bengals, and Vikings are three-point favorites. I'm pretty surprised by this line. I don't think there's a lot about. I don't think there's a lot to like about the Bengals early in the season. So this one kind of confuses me. It's the Vikings, Eddie. I know, and I know what they do. <laughs> That's to you. why. I know what it's they do. The to you. Vikings. They're going to disappoint early on, and then right when you start to give up on them, they're going to come up with a few impressive wins. It's what the Vikings do. It's what Kirk Cousins does. But yeah, I just, I think they're better in pretty much every aspect of the game. And I think this Bengals team is going to be really bad this year, which isn't a bad thing for their future, but I do think they're going to be once again, a terrible team. And yeah, I think the Vikings will win fairly comfortably and I expect them to cover. Yeah. When I saw this spread, this was the game I thought the strongest about and it just i hate it it's like when am i gonna learn my lesson to just avoid the vikings uh but yeah i I agree with you i I don't i don't understand why the vikings aren't a little more favored mike zimmer was three and one last year against the afc north uh 
the other fact that I thought was pretty funny was Chase Young did not do not Chase Young, sorry, uh, Jamar Chase did not do well in the preseason. I think he dropped four balls out of the five that were thrown to him. And there was a recent article saying that he has been struggling seeing the football and getting used to it because it's a bigger football, but it doesn't have the stripes that the college football has. So he's having trouble adjusting to the different ball and like his catch point and everything like that. So he's been working a lot apparently after uh, practices and things to try and get more used to the NFL ball versus the uh, college football ball. I don't know if that's a valid excuse or not. (laughs) Plus just, you got to factor in too, right? How motivated is Kirk cousins to come out as an unvaccinated man and just put out a statement performance in week one that he can then probably discuss. And he probably then hopes that a few other vaccinated quarterbacks throw up real stinkers and he can vaguely allude to them in press conferences. Maybe. <laughs> oh, 100%. I'll go Vikings. Okay. Um, all right, I've actually gone against you here. And this is a bit more on faith and that kind of week one no, potential idea. It's not called faith, Sam. It's called love. <laughs> old sweet, old sweet mouth no, it's Sweet so lips I, himself. Look, it was one of those things when I looked at the line and I found it a little odd, but then the more I kind of looked into it, the more I actually thought if the Bengals are going to do something early on might not be the worst part of it. So like, look, the Vikings have a pretty leaky secondary. And I think with Burroughs back, that's going to be a good thing to have. I think Mixon is going to have a good year running and the Vikings have a pretty poor run defense. They were torn apart last year. So I, I just feel like where the Bengals could do some damage the Vikings don't have the counter for it as much. So, look, I, I read the stuff about Chase as well and the fact that he had a pretty bad preseason, but I'm going to go for it. I, yeah, this is my upset. So I'm going for the Bengals. Fair enough. So next up is the Jets at the Panthers, and the Panthers are four-point favorites. We have made it to my survivor pick of week one. Wow. I, really? I actually you know, I agree This is Eddie, risky. I know why you're doing it, because you'll never pick the Panthers again. It's your exactly. only opportunity, and you can save your good picks. But that is risky. It is risky, but you're right. That's You're exactly. putting your money... In Sam Darnold's hands. Yeah. And I hope he won't be seeing ghosts. But no, there's a lot of reasons to be a little bit worried. I do think the Panthers are actually going to be pretty decent this year, though. And so this is one of those games where I think if this was being played in week 11, it's the Panthers minus 10. So I feel like you're right strategically. I probably don't want to, even though I think the Panthers will be good, I probably don't want to pick them as a survivor pick at any other stage in the season. For the most part, I will be picking against the Jets quite a lot anyway. So that's another part of the strategy. But yeah, I feel, look, if the, the, bad, the downside to making this pick is 
if the Jets win and then end up going two and 15, it's going to be a really upsetting way to look back and know that your survivor pick lost. But, you know, got to roll the dice, got to play the game smart. I think you got McCaffrey coming back. I think Sam Darnold isn't as bad as people think they are. Yeah, you're right. He's worse. <laughs> he is even. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think the Panthers will be pretty decent. I think the Jets will be terrible. So yeah, I'm taking the Panthers to win and to cover. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think the Jet the Jet, look, the Jet it's very hard for the Jets to be worse than they were last year, but they're still going to be pretty bad. But I think Donald's going to have more around him at the Panthers, right? I think you're going to see a better version of Donald here just because he's got more to go to. But also like the Panthers elite kind of Christian McCaffrey coming back as well. It just leads me to think that they're, they're going to have a better season. I think they're pretty decent anyway. And then, you know, having McCaffrey back is going to be a good one. So I actually think the four points is pretty generous. I thought you were going to say they're elite Christians. <laughs> they have their elite Christian philosophy. I thought that's what you were no, going to say. they probably do. <laughs> elite Christian yeah. singles. I mean, you're both right. The Panthers on paper have a much better roster than the Jets do. And Darnold finally has real NFL players to throw to and to protect him with, you know, you have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, you have Christian McCaffrey who will make a difference. I agree with both of you Panthers to win Panthers to cover, but I worry about putting a team that might be a four win team as your week one survivor. That is a risk. Calculated. Yeah. But I will also say this, my real concern with Sam Darnold, I think he is better than he showed in the, with the Jets. And I think there were moments in the in his career with the Jets where he did look quite good. My one fear is you got to be pretty mentally strong because he'll know now that he can try and separate the two parts and say, well, that was because I was in a really bad situation with bad coaching that weak weapons around me, bad a bad team overall just wasn't good. No one would have succeeded then. If things start to go wrong early on in Carolina, you're gonna be you're gonna have to be strong mentally to keep telling yourself that line and to not suddenly think, uh oh, maybe I was a big part of why that situation wasn't good. That's that's my one concern. But I think he'll be all right. Um Eagles at the Falcons, and the Falcons are three-point favorites. Are we just going to talk about every terrible game to get them all the way first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets better as we go through. I mean, this is another one that does not have much interest. You have a rebuilding Eagles team, and you have a Falcons team that I don't know if they're rebuilding. I don't know if they think they're still super competitive. It's tough to get a read on what they've put together there. I what's the spread? Three. Falcons are favored. Yeah. The Falcons are favored. <laughs> I'll go with the upset the on this one. I I this is a game that I will avoid at all costs, but I think the Eagles could upset the Falcons just because the Falcons just don't excite me at all. Um, so I'll take the Eagles to win and the Eagles to cover, obviously. Uh, the Falcons don't excite me, but their offense is always 
fun to watch and Pitts is going to be an interesting dynamic there. Another red zone highlight you're going to have to get a couple times with Pitts's first reception, Pitts's first touchdown reception, maybe even his first first down, all the same thing. You're going to have to get it. So you're going to see more of this game than you maybe want to. I think the Falcons did such a bad job in close games last year. It's impossible to imagine them doing it again. And for that reason alone, which is sort of stupid, but for that reason alone, I'm going to take them to win and to cover. But I actually think they will be significantly better this year. Where And, I mean, a co- major coaching upgrade, I think, is, helps and could get back to some of the kind of creative offensive play calling that made them so good a few years ago. And I just don't trust Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, Falcons to win, Falcons to cover. Yeah, that Jalen Hurts bit was going to be my opening point. Like, I really can't trust him. I think the Eagles were too poor, too error-prone last year. And the thing is, like, yeah, we all had a bit of a laugh and a chuckle at um, the Falcons' kind of misfortunes at throwing away games in some of the most incredible scenarios. But, you know, Pitts, but they've got some pretty good young receivers. They've got um, Ridley as well. So, you know, losing Julio Jones isn't... I don't think it's that bad for them. I think they're a pretty good passing team, the Falcons, and I don't think they'll be that terrible this year. So, yeah, I think this is a good opener for them, to be honest. I think they'll win and cover. So going straight on to the Steelers at the Bills, and the Bills are six-and-a-half-point favorites. I mean, we know who Frank's going to pick, right? That's for sure. He's picking the Bills. He's picking the Bills to cover. He thinks the Steelers are garbage all the time. Doesn't mean if they're undefeated, even if they're 40 points up in the Super Bowl, he would say the Steelers are garbage. I am going to pick the Bills. I'm going to pick the Bills to cover. My concern with the Bills is their defense, which I think is significantly overrated because they live off having had a good defense a couple of years ago. And people have just cemented that into their memories. And so when they think of the Bills, they think of a good defense. I think the Steelers will be good. They're well coached. You know, they'll figure out how to do things well. Their run game will probably be better now this year. This game worries me a little bit. It's a stay away for me. But I think the Bills will win. I think there's a good chance that in the third quarter, I'm questioning why I stayed away. But I think the Bills will win and cover. But I I do classify this as one of those week one games I want to watch. I don't want to be involved in in any way. This isn't a stay away. This is a pile on. <laughs> and that's why I want to stay away. <laughs> yeah. Steelers lost four out of their last five games last year, finally cementing them as the garbage team I knew they were. And one of those losses was a double-digit loss to the Buffalo Bills, where Stefan Diggs torched them for 130 yards, ended up leading the league in receiving yards and catches last season. I don't see that changing. Now that they've added Emmanuel Sanders, Diggs is going to get even better looks. Josh Allen is getting better. Big Ben is getting frailer. There is no scenario in which I don't pick the Bills here. This, though, Eddie, when we talked about at the beginning of the of the talk, this is the game that I could see the Steelers winning just to piss me off. But by week 16, it if that were to play again, I think the Bills would win. But this is one of those early ones 
that could just be the Steelers being the Steelers and somehow miraculously winning this game. So we didn't. So we didn't need to go to you because Eddie got you bang on <laughs> for the for the Bills and cover. <laughs> I, look, I I'm I'm with you too as well. Like the fact that medium sized Ben is like thirty nine. If they can get to him, I know it's not the best from the Bills, but if they can get to him, I think that's a real problem. Um, yeah, I don't have too much to add. To be honest, I don't think. I mean, the only observation I had is the Bills will barely run against the Steelers, so. It's going to rely on Josh Allen to do a lot, but he's good enough to do a lot. And so Stefan Diggs, so I, I he, think the Bills will win in cover. He is good enough to do a lot, but he does make a lot of mistakes too. And I don't know. It's a stay away from me. I think it's a fun game. I'm definitely going to watch it and I look forward to it. But yeah, there's just there's elements of the Bills that always scare me a little, that they are a little bit error prone and inconsistent at times and in big moments i mean how frank how big of a lead do the bills need to have at the start of the fourth quarter for you to feel confident in them covering this spread oh they can be down five (laughs) all right (laughs) that wasn't what you expected was it i mean it is (laughs) i got (laughs) (laughs) them it's exactly it's exactly what i expected So um, next up is the Seahawks and the Colts. And the Seahawks are two and a half point favorites, which for me was a little low. But Carson Wentz, it's his first game of the Colts. He's had a foot injury. He's had COVID. Uh, Anyone on the Colts here? Or are we all Seahawking? Seahawks. I'm going to go Colts. For me as well. Really? Okay. Show your work. Given that Wentz starts. Because I don't know if he's been officially cleared with his foot injury. You got to make a pick, though. Yeah, but I will say... I'll I'll reserve judgment until the game started. Until five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Because the other factor is if Wentz doesn't start, this spread is going to be drastically different. Well, we need to discuss this, actually. Because there's... With this season, with the COVID regulations there is a good chance we make our selections on a Thursday and something drastic happens between Thursday and Sunday and there are major shifts in the line. We need to kind of... But the people listening won't hear this until probably Saturday. Maybe not, but there could be a Sunday morning shift, right? Like there could be a a week where Mahomes gets ruled out on a Saturday from playing on a Sunday. So the Chiefs go from being six-point favorites to six-point underdogs or something, you know, like something insane. Well, then we toss the game. Well, you could say like there's a limit. You could say if the line moves more than five I just think, from when we started. I just think you're shit out of luck. Personally. I mean, it's like saying if I place a bet on a Thursday and then something, there's an injury or a surprising team selection and calling up your bookmaker. And well, saying, I don't think you're shit out of luck because I, I wouldn't take, you. I wouldn't. Because of exactly what you said, I wouldn't make NFL picks on a Thursday. I would wait some, until a Saturday or a Sunday morning until some you know people, for sure. I guess, but then some people like to do the opposite. Sometimes you know the line is going to shift the way you don't want it to shift. I mean, for example... I, yeah, well, you don't know if Mahomes is going to pick COVID up on a Saturday. No, but for example... <laughs> if you know that, then, then call me may up. Have, you, you may have the intel. You saw him in a bar or something. Yeah, I made out with him last night. 
he's definitely got COVID now. <laughs> I kept coughing a lot. Yeah. COVID's the least of his worries then. He'll never have a career. <laughs> oh, why? Is there some comment about how homophobic the NFL is? No, about I'm just saying of what you have that you're oh. you're passing on. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but anyway, no, I think I think we just have to accept that this is the risk and it's gonna suck. But hey, maybe one week it goes in your favor because that's the other thing we didn't have to do. We'd have to do the reverse. So you pick the upset, and then you know, like for example, this week, Frank, you've picked, uh, you know, the the Falcons to lose. And if Matt Ryan gets ruled out on Sunday morning and the line suddenly shifts massively, and so your upset pick is now, you're now going against, you're going sort of pick the favorite. Good for you. You got lucky. That's the best thing about going against Cousins. Yeah, that's the best thing about going against Cousins. You know the Vikings are a time bomb. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll stick with the Colts. Um, so he was a full participant in practice yesterday, uh, and it was announced that he's going to start. So it would be shocking if they backtracked on that. I just don't trust the Seahawks defense. They gave up the second most passing yards in the league last year. And we talked about in our preview, they really didn't do much to address that. Um, I don't know. I think the Colts are going to be a surprise team this year and I'm going to stick with the Colts. Uh, I agree. I, I think Colts will be good. I don't trust the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks will be good. I think the Seahawks will be better, but they are, they blow hot and cold, like, as you touched on. And that makes a difficult thing in picking them is that they're going to have some awful games. And again, another team that's going to really frustrate you. You'll pick against them one week and they'll be amazing. And then the next week you'll decide, well, I better Seahawks look great. I better pick the Seahawks. And then they're down. 24 to the Titans. I'm going to pick the Seahawks just on the fact that I'm, I want to see Carson Wentz healthy and playing before I decide that I'm all, I'm going to pick the Colts to beat a good team. So I'm picking the Seahawks. Um, fair. I, I, I'm picking Seahawks and to cover as well. I, I think, um, you know, look, the Colts have got a good secondary and that could hurt Wilson. Like you say, defensively, they're poor. So last season, the reason they won so many games was because they had to put up crazy numbers to offset the crazily poor defense that they had. But I, he, Wilson is an elite QB. He averaged 300 yards last season a game. I just think he's going to come in hot and that will be... That'll be the way the Seahawks win this. They just score. <laughs> they just outscore them, which is the most obvious thing to say. But I think that's exactly what will happen. They will just keep scoring, and they'll just score more than them. Simply put, so deep analysis. Um, Sam, I know it's, Sam's it's picking it's the so team thorough. that will score more points to win the game. Crazy. Yes. Not only that, but outscore as well. Wow. <laughs> so what? It's crazy observations here. Like, but yeah, I'm going Seahawks and cover. Uh, next up is the um, rematch of the uh, what was it divisional conference? I can't remember. But um, uh, the Browns at the Chiefs, and the um, Chiefs are five and a half point favorites. So, Eddie, I really, really, really 
want to take the Browns. Like I really want to, but I just can't do it. Every part of me wants to think I'm, I'm expecting the Browns to be really good this year. They've actually played the Chiefs well over in recent seasons. I think it's a pretty good matchup for them. You know that they can kind of go toe-to-toe in terms of the explosive scoring. So it's not a situation where if it's a shootout, you know that the, the Browns are capable of scoring 35 points and staying in the game. You know they're also capable of being down 21-7 and suddenly it's 21-all. I know that Odell Beckham's questionable for this game, right? Unlikely to play, I believe. Who is that? (laughs) But I'm going to take the Chiefs just coming off the Super Bowl defeat, not allowing themselves to lose one or back-to-back games, feeling like they have a little bit of a point to prove. They get to be that team with the chip on the shoulder. They get to be that team pointing at the fact that people are doubting them for different reasons. So I'd love to pick the Browns. I'll reg- I may regret not picking the Browns in this one, but I'm going to take the Chiefs to win into cover. It's the Chiefs were so frustrating last year, weren't they? In terms of like they went into every game favorites. Of course they did, but at not covering spreads, even low spreads, you know, these ones, they were still notoriously bad at keeping it kind of tight, even though they were dominating. And I think the good thing, the the thing I like about the Browns in this one is they're just going to keep it really simple against the Chiefs and they're just going to run the ball a lot. They'll keep the score within arm's reach of the Chiefs. And I, I think kind of the defensive front can put pressure on Mahomes. And we saw it we saw kind of the blueprint for beating the Chiefs, right, in the in the Super Bowl. And I think the Browns can take a lot from that one. But as you said, Eddie, the thing with the Chiefs is that they've just they're just this offensive juggernaut and they just can score whenever they want and almost as quickly as they want as well. But going back to that point that they rarely blow away teams in a regular season, I, I agree that they'll want to make a statement after the Super Bowl. But honestly, I think the Browns will want to make a statement as well about their season and their expectations and aspirations. So I've got the Chiefs winning, but I've got the Browns covering. So, um, yeah. No, I, I I think the Chiefs are going to win this, and I think they're going to win by double digits. I just... I think that the Browns are going to be a slightly overrated team this year, and I think this spread is an indication of slightly being overrated going into this season. Um, I mean, we go back to that divisional game. The Chiefs were up 19-3 at half. Then they were up 22-10 to when Mahomes went down. I mean, they were up by double digits in control of that game before Mahomes went out. Yeah, but you're overlooking, right, the, the key decision at the end of the first half, right? Yeah, and you're overlooking the fact that they missed a field goal when they intercepted Baker and should have scored a touchdown. I mean, yeah, no, 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 I do. But watching that game, it never felt like the Chiefs, it never felt like the Browns were out of it. You can say what the scores were at different moments, but the the eye test, it felt like the Browns. The eye test to me felt like the Chiefs were still the superior team, right? I, I mean, the Browns were never out of it, but that's different than when you watch the Bucks play the, the Chiefs and being out of it versus 
can easily win this game. But I think they're different. I think they're all related because I think a big part of part of what led to the Chiefs Super Bowl disaster was that they had some of their confidence knocked out of them. And I think part of the confidence being knocked out of them was over the course of their season, the inability to put away teams and even in the playoffs then. I know that they, when they won the Super Bowl, they had to have the huge comebacks, but that's kind of confidence boosting that you, even though you, you're not going to tell yourselves, oh, wow, we keep getting into massive holes. You're going to tell yourself instead, wow, we get ourselves out of massive holes and we're unbeatable. Whereas they always looked kind of beatable last year, including in that Browns game. Look, I think they, I picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. I think they'll be good. I think they'll win and cover this, but... I don't think the Browns will be. I mean, I, and I think that's another good point you bring up too, is this year going into this season, a lot of that we couldn't put teams away last year will be on the top of their priority list to make sure that doesn't happen again. And this could be a great start for them to do that and go up a score and then just continue to full throttle and put a team away like the Browns. Uh, Mahomes, 17 and four at home, never lost to an AFC North opponent. Don't, don't see it happen in week one. <laughs> now, does Tyreek Hill throw up the deuces? Or does Odell Beckham get a deuce dropped on him? All right. <laughs> oh, Eddie, you I set love- me up so perfect. I thought I was going to have to avoid a week one joke, but you <laughs> gave it to me. Move on to the next game then, Sam. No, no, we'll keep talking <laughs> All right. Well, Eddie, you can kick us off with this one. You've got the 49ers at the Lions, and the 49ers are seven and a half point favorites. I'm taking the Niners to win, Niners to cover. I'll keep it pretty short. I mean, they're healthy. That's nice for them. They'll be at least healthy for this week, or at least for some of this game. Um, I think you're going to see Shanahan has now. The thing is, they're not going to use a lot of the new plays and tricks and schemes that they might have up their sleeve against the Lions, but the Lions are bad. I don't think the Lions are going to win many games this season anyway, but I think you'll see a little bit of swagger from the Niners this week. I'll be interested to see how many snaps Trey Lance gets because he'll definitely come in for a few, I would think. But, yeah, I mean, like, the new rules work very well for the Niners in terms of the inability to block the tight ends outside of the... Outside of the once they get outside the t- the tight ends block, I think this is yeah. I think the Niners will win by double digit digits. Niners win. Niners cover. Niners nation. <laughs> Niners nation, very positive, very confident. Yeah, I I was going to actually ask as the only talking point to hear is, do you even put Trey Lance in this week, considering he's has that what finger injury, right? And he's been pretty limited at practice. Do you even bother risking it with a team like the lions? I mean, I might even just sit him all week one, save your packages for when it matters and not give teams any advanced notice for some of the trick plays you might run. Cause I can see them just steamrolling through the lions. One of the best things I saw was someone posted, you know, well, Jared Goff, he is familiar with that Niners defense that could give them an edge, but he's three and six against them. So it's not like familiar familiar doesn't mean you're good. Like it doesn't mean it's an advantage. Plus a new new defensive coordinator anyway. So uh, defense is probably going to look a little bit different, even if 
some of the same schemes and approach will remain the same. You're going to have a, a slight difference in terms of how they, the play calling. But yeah, no, I, I do like when people talk about the familiarity as an advantage when you are been consistently beaten. But yeah, again, this is quick for me. You've you've all said the points right. The Niners are better. They've got less injuries. They're a better team. Lions are actually probably going to be worse than they were last year, and without Stafford now as well. So I think that's probably the most comfortable win of them all. But um, fingers crossed for a bit of a curse there. Actually, no fingers crossed for a curse there. I, th- I think this will be a comfortable one for them. Um, next up is the. Broncos at the Giants, and the Broncos are three points favorites. So, uh, Frank, how's uh, Barkley and Jones going to do in this one? I think they're going to win. I am never sold on the Broncos. Uh, I know that they've moved on from Drew Locke and they've gone to Bridgewater. Bridgewater is an okay quarterback. He's kind of reminds me a little bit of an Alex Smith game managing type. Um, He doesn't make many mistakes. But the Giants had a really good defense last year, so I think they'll stop them from scoring a good amount of points. And the Giants' offense on paper looks great. Their offensive line, in reality, looks atrocious. So I think that's the big matchup in this game is can the Broncos' defense, which classically has been a notorious blitzing, getting to the, getting to the pass defense, can they be successful against the Giants and get to Daniel Jones and have him cause turnovers? I think in spite of that, the Giants can outscore the Broncos in like a 20 to 17 win. Low, not very high scoring, not very exciting. But I think with Barkley back, Galladay back, um, and Daniel Jones slightly improving, I picked the Giants to win. Um, yeah, I mean... When I when I looked at Bridgewater coming in, it's like I think it's fairly solid at the Panthers, and I think it's a really good middling QB for the Broncos. Like they're going to have Von Miller back as well, so it'll probably apply more heat on Jones. But you, it is one of those games where like having Barkley back could completely sway it, and I really wouldn't be surprised if I saw the Giants win this for all the reason for most of the reasons Frank said. But I just think the Broncos like. One of the massive issues they had last year was the amount of errors that they were just so error prone with their offense. Like the amount of forced errors, they just, sorry, unforced errors that they kind of just, it was just weird to look at. So I think they'll offensively be better. I think they'll eliminate some of the errors. I think defensively they'll look a bit better. Offensively they'll be more secure. So I've got the, I've got the Broncos winning this one and covering. Uh, I don't have a really strong opinion on this game. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Giants and the points just because I think if it's a toss up, I'd rather have the points than, than not have them, even if it's not exactly a lot of points that you're getting. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to see a few games of both of these teams. They both have good defenses on their day. They both make a lot of mistakes offensively. Maybe Terry Bridgewater fixes that, fixes that for the Broncos. Maybe Daniel Jones makes a step forward. Maybe Saquon Barkley being back means that he makes fewer mistakes, takes a little bit of the pressure off of him. But I think anything could happen in this game. Literally, you could tell me any score, basically, on Monday from what happened. Broncos by 20, Giants by 20, it wouldn't stun me. But uh, in because of that, I'll, I'll just play it safe and take a few points and hope for the best. Arguably, 
arguably game of the week with the Packers at the Saints and the um, the Packers are four-point favorites. This game worries me a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm sometimes not sure preseason why people expect the Packers to be quite as good as they do because over the course of the season they have some great performances, but kind of they get found out against top quality opposition. So I don't know why they'll be that much better this year than they have been in recent seasons, which is still good, but it's not great. The Saints, there's every reason to think that they will be worse. They've lost Drew Brees, obviously. You've got Thomas still out. But then Drew Brees could barely throw the ball 10 yards last year. So is Winston an automatic upgrade on Drew Brees? In some respects, yes, even if he doesn't have the same sort of skills in terms of his intelligence on the field and maybe how much trust and faith his teammates have in them in him so i'm a little bit worried about this i'm going to pick the packers just because again i'd like to see the saints before i pick them so saints i'll take the packers to win and to cover but i don't again i don't love it i hate consistently saying that coming into week one but the saints are a team that i'd i want to see before i have any confidence in picking for them or against them because they could be end up being pretty. This could be Sean Payton gets really creative now that he doesn't have Drew Brees' terrible arm to work with, and their offense is suddenly back to being this explosive machine. But I'd like to see it first. So they're not at the Superdome, right? So do you think that affects it for the Saints? It's it's not a positive, <laughs> but. Um, I don't think it, I don't think I guess a better way of putting it is like, do you think the line is in any way affected by that? Because obviously the Saints are one of those teams where that matters. Like the yeah, for sure. Aspect. No, for sure. Then you're probably two or three points more because of where they're playing. Yeah. Um, I've got it in my notes that it'll matter for the Saints, but the thing with this Saints team that was so characteristic of them last season was their defense, right? And that hasn't really changed. So they can rely on that again, and they know they can get those, uh, put in a lot of stops and really kind of ground teams down. Um, I think it's a tough opener for Winston, but you you made the point, like, what was Breeze doing in that final year that was actually helping the Saints? Not much. He was actually just hindering it. It was keeping it, like, in a different format. Um yeah, the Packers, I've got the Packers to win, but the four, look, this is starting to get that thread needle, but I just think this will be close, really, really close. And I think the Packers are legit, but I'm actually going to take the Saints to cover the four. Wow, threading the needle. I agree a lot with what Eddie said, and I said that all of last year as well with him, that I think the Packers are an o- slightly overrated team, and then when they play good competition – they are found pretty well. The issue here is the Saints, they have this added issue with the hurricane coming through and messing up a lot of their practices. It's now no longer a home game. It's a neutral field game. I think that's going to cause some distractions. While I don't think the Packers are that 
I don't think they're the top two, three teams in the league. I think they will win this game in week one. I wouldn't be surprised again if they see at the end of the year with Winston a whole season under his belt with this team that the Saints aren't then the better team. But week one here, I'll take the Packers. You're right, Sam. I think four is that kind of split line, but I'll stick with the Packers to cover the four. But that that the from three to four always is a big jump, even though it's really not, but it, it feels like it is. Yeah. I look forward to that game though. Um it'll just be interesting to see that post Breeze era of what the Saints look like. And also what the Packers are gonna come out like with Rogers, right? After all the the turmoil that he basically caused. It'll be interesting to see like kind of where that head is as well. So I look forward to that game, actually. It's definitely one I want to watch. Um, speaking of QBs, got some uh, got Patriots uh, and the Dolphins up next. And the Patriots are three-point favorites. So what do we all think of Mac Jones and Tua in this one? Yeah. I always think Bill Belichick with a lot of time to prepare for a team, even if... They haven't done that well against the Dolphins in recent seasons. Been a little bit of a bogey team for them, but I still think coming into week one, they'll be as well prepared as they're ever going to be. Bill Belichick coming off Tom Brady having won the Super Bowl, be extra motivated to try and prove. No, but you know, like a lot of people have now already decided because Tom Brody, Tom Brody, <laughs> Tom Brady won <laughs> one Super Bowl without Bill Belichick, that it's over. It was Brady and not Belichick. I'm assuming he obviously likes Mac Jones. That's the question here, right? It's it's a, it's going to be someone making their first start in the NFL. So how is he going to handle that? How is he going to be up to speed straight away? But they have a good running game that kind of shut down towards the back end of the season. Their defense should be even better this year because they've had players who were missing last season who've come back. They spent a lot in the offseason on free agents. I think you have to expect that the Patriots will take a step forward. The Dolphins could be good, you know, but a lot of question marks over Tua. So I'm going to pick the Patriots to win into cover. Yeah, for me, I want to see. So obviously this is Tua versus Mac, and it's the Alabama successor versus predecessor. predecessor. Um, and I was wondering how many times that's happened in a matchup before, but I didn't want with to Al- take the time to look into that. <laughs> with Alabama or Ohio State quarterbacks, it probably happens four times a year. <laughs> but <laughs> it, pro- but see, that's what you think, but I bet you it probably happens less than that. Anyway, I, I'm with you. I don't know. This is another fact, I think, that people always throw around, but I've never seen the actual statistics for it. But you have Bill Belichick with a long time to prepare against a young QB. And that is like the Bill Belichick tagline, you know, give him give him time against a rookie or an inexperienced QB and he is going to make it a nightmare for them. And I don't go against it because I believe it's true and I'm going to go and believe it's true this time and I will take the Patriots to win even though I think Tua at this stage is probably the better QB than Mac Jones. But there's something about Belichick being able to prepare and make it very difficult for a young QB to survive in that pocket and to make accurate throws. So I'll go the Pats 
to win and cover. Yeah, I um I agree with you both. I think I, I think the Patriots had like a lot of unfortunate things happen to them last season in terms of like injuries and the COVID. They lost probably some of the more kind of integral players to their team who opted out with the COVID scenario. But you know what? They've got a good enough pass rush to give Tua problems. They've got a good enough running game with Damian Harris, um, which is going to help Mac Jones because I just think it will take some of the pressure away knowing that you can always resort to that run game. Um, it, it kind of interested me that the Patriots picked off like 18 throws last season. So they're good in the secondary as well. And I just think everything the Dolphins could do, the Patriots have a good counter for. Um, so I'm, I'm interested by the Patriots this year. I think, I think they will be better um, for sure. Um, I'm kind of really interested to see how they look and how they line up. So yeah, I'm taking the Patriots to cover as well. To kind of answer your question, Frank, and these are combining two different stats, but basically under Belichick, Patriots have won 75% of their games after a bye. That's not including opening games of the season, but it's probably around a similar stat. Now, they probably have won basically 75% of their games under Bill Belichick <laughs> the whole time. They are, and they're, then again, and he's 13-0 and against rookie quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Tua is not a rookie, but... Um, Still inexper- uh, relatively inexperienced second year. Yeah. But although Tua became the first, sorry, 13 and 1, because Tua became the first rookie to beat the Patriots last year when they when the Dolphins beat them. So it's a great stat. So two games left. Um, you've got the Bears at the Rams, and the Rams are seven and a half point favorites. And then you've got the Ravens at the Raiders, and the Ravens are four and a half point favorites. Are you so, asking us like do a double here? Is that double. What yeah, yeah. Like speed it's us a out? combined. It's a combined spread. Now nah, we just start with the Bears Rams. So like I said, Rams seven and a half point favorites. For me, this is a really easy one. Like this is a bad bad matchup for the Bears. Like you've got that Rams defensive unit and the Bears offensive line. I think everything about it is bad. I think. I think LA are going to get to Dalton a lot. It's going to be a pretty bad day for him. I think it'll be an easy day for the Rams. So I'm taking the Rams to win and to cover. Yeah, I'll make it short. I can't pick the Rams to make the Super Bowl and not be confident that they're going to win week one against a mediocre Bears team. So I'll take the Rams to win and to cover. Yeah, same. For all the same reasons. Big question marks over the Bears at quarterback. Their offensive line looked horrific in preseason. I mean, Justin Fields nearly got killed on a play. So, (laughs) um, uh, yeah, I think, again, the Rams will be better in every aspect of the game. So, yeah, Rams win, Rams cover. Okay. And Ravens-Raiders. So four and a half points in favor of the Ravens. What do we think? It worries me a little bit because the Raiders have these weird results. They're not a very good team, but every once in a while they play pretty well. And... It would also be very Gruden of them to like win the opening game on Monday Night Football, and everyone comes out raving about how he's actually doing a much better job than people give him credit for, and how the Raiders could put together a really good season, and then they end up being eight and nine. But it worries me. Obviously, the Ravens' their running back situation is not good, but they can kind of just replace. They don't have any. (laughs) <laughs> they kind of don't need one though right no that's they have that's a running back thing, yeah. playing playing quarterback 
so they don't really need an additional running back. Yeah, I think the Ravens Ravens will win and cover. I think um I think the Raiders front five will have an easier time against the Ravens because they they don't have running backs. They just have things that can run at them. But like the th- but just to touch on that before you say though, I'm always skeptical of you know, there are system running backs. There are systems in which running backs succeed. And the reality is when you have Lamar Jackson as a threat to run constantly and they just run these schemes where it looks like Lamar is going to keep it and then instead it gets handed off to someone, there are moments where it doesn't really matter how good of a running back you are. You're going to pick up 10 yards just because as a defense, their first focus is shutting down Lamar. So I'm not overly concerned that they don't have Dobbins and that the it's a major downgrade from a running back perspective, because I just think whoever's their number, their sort of starting running back is going to pick up some yards. Yeah, it's, it's going to be going through Jackson. I think the interesting thing for the Ravens this season, right, is we, we all know that they were, so, they were so unwilling to go to the passing game last year. They were last in the NFL for the passing yards. It's just not going to happen this year. I, I really can't see a world where that stat kind of repeats. Like, I feel like Jackson is going to go more in the air like it's not just going to be sole ground game as much as it was last year so i i think that kind of opens it up more interestingly for the ravens and it'll be good to see like how they convert slightly because i I just can't see it happening you know for the aspirations of where they want to be you can't be having that where you're just last in passing yards but i'm still taking the um the ravens to win and cover that they're a better outfit they're a better team um and I, I think they've got enough there to to kind of post over four and a half for the spread. I'm with both of you on the Ravens. It will be interesting. Vegas at home last year was two and six. It'll be interesting to see if in that pretty awesome stadium with fans, it will now make a difference. But this was one of the worst, if not the worst ranking defense in the league. They've now got a new defensive coordinator and they signed... Um, Oh boy, I'm gonna get caught up here. Yannick uh, Nguke, I think that's pretty close. Um, so they have tried to improve their defense, but the Ravens are a solid offense. And every year you have Lamar Jackson in that offense, it's going to evolve and get better and better than probably what it was the year before, as they become more familiar with the schemes. So I will take the Ravens to win and the Ravens to cover. You're right about the stadium, by the way. It's it is incredible. Well, like, what's that thing? It, it looks like a massive like Olympic flame in it or something. It's <laughs> the the thing I do worry about though. If you're the Raiders, the stadium's awesome. I'd want to go there, but I also kind of don't because I think just the type of people who might be in there might make it awful. But I do worry that you lose a little bit. A little bit like when you go to a game, one of the games in London. You just lose the home field advantage because there's too many people there who are there for the experience. So there's times when there'll be a crucial third down and maybe there won't be the level of noise that there would be elsewhere because there's so many people who are just, I went to Vegas and I wanted to go to that stadium and I wanted to go and see a Raiders game. And then I was there and I'm a neutral and I didn't really care that much. And by the fourth quarter, I'd had a few, a few beers and I was kind of checked out. And there were other things distracting me in the stadium. And that's how you feel at Wembley or at Twickenham or the Spurs Stadium. I worry that it will be a little bit like that for the Raiders all the time. 
the prawn sandwich brigade. A little way. bit. Yeah. A little bit, but different. But yeah, the same idea. All right. There we go. Um, bets of the week. Are we doing fake money again? Are we doing 100K? Oh, I didn't know we were doing bets of the week. Are you, is this you guys trying to catch me off guard now? <laughs> well, Texans yeah, we'll and Lions are your kind of locks for 18 weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll do we'll do bets of the week. All right, so we're all starting off with 100K, yeah? Yeah. Or should we make it more because I ran out quickly last time? <laughs> you want to start with a million? Yeah, I probably need it. You'll, you'll still place the same proportion of the bet. <laughs> still on the do bet, a 500k so. back. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, my bet of the week. Going to start, as I mean, to go on with a, uh, a little bit of a an accumulator. And my bet of the week is going to be the Niners, the Panthers, the Chiefs, and the Rams in a fourfold that pays 2.33. We're doing 100,000 or are we doing a million? 100,000? 100K. I will, I'll place... 10,000 on my opening week fourfold. Dangerous. So 10,000 to return 33,000. So really not far off you actually. So what I've done is I've got the Bucks tonight. Uh, I've got the Panthers. Uh, I've got the Patriots and I've got the Rams. So it's a little bit more risky, but I, I do like the Patriots. Wait, what did you say yours? Uh, so, so, so it's the um, the Buccaneers, the Panthers. Are, are we allowing? Are we allowing week one? You throw in a game, no one can follow you on. I don't mind. Just saying. I tell you, I tell you what. Okay, that that's kind of fair. The the team that I kind of thought about makes it way more risky now. Would be the Seahawks. So these are all money line as well. So I guess if I put the Seahawks in, it's the so it's the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and the Rams, and it pays 3.92. And I want to put I want to put 10 on. Wow, oh, that's bold. <laughs> hey, congratulations, the NFL season is underway, and the first possession was a punt. So thrilling start. All right, since I'm getting thrown into this without prior warning of our bets of the week. I mean, the previous again. like the previous 20-odd weeks of the NFL season last year were warning enough. We did right? it. And also, even with advanced warning, you didn't do all that well. So I don't know if lack of prior warning is going to hurt you or, or help you. Okay, I'm going to go threefold all against the spread. Rams... <laughs> Chiefs and Bills, all against the spread, comes out to about six six to one. Are we just saying sixes then, or have you got a decimal? I'll give you. I'll give you the exact Rams, Chiefs, Bills, five point nine five. 
Oh, sorry. Stickler here. What are your uh, what are the spreads though you're giving me? I'm giving you the Bet365 spreads, the official bookmaker of the Big Chill podcast, the Rams minus 7.5, Chiefs minus 5.5 and Bills minus 6.5. And we have how much are we starting with now? 100,000. 100,000. And both Sam okay, and I get... have placed 10,000 in the opening week. Okay. I will go 5,000. I don't know why that just feels like a really weak, weak stake. Like, I was going to go 5,000, but in my head I was like, nah, let's, let's go. I mean, on. you have to calculate, right? Assuming you never have a winner. It's week 11, I'll be asking through the for year. <laughs> it's 22 weeks. So. Based on that, you know, you know what your average stake should be, but you know, help. Even if you're terrible, you're gonna have one or two winners. But that's what you want. It's like same as going to the horse racing. If you've got a seven or eight card, you need to win that first race, and then you're just playing with playing with winnings makes it easier. You're not chasing. Well, Frank, right. Frank could be in the lead. Either way, I think, because either he'll have lost the least amount, but he also stands to win the most, I think. So interesting position for him to be in. For a guy that's not prepared, he's thought really tactically. Yep. All right. Well, I think uh, we should jump off so we can watch this first game of the NFL season. Let's do it. Already heard how exciting right. the punt was. So. Yeah. Well, Cowboys um, marching down the field right now. So, yeah, yeah see you. Dak with a nice pass. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you boys later. See you. Cheerio.